Bibles, I'd love you to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, my Bible, it's page 614. You may need to use your index. Uh, if you look at it from a historical point of view, Nehemiah sits in the Bible kind of just before Malachi, just right before the New Testament. Uh, but in the Bible, you find it a little bit further back, before Proverbs, Psalms. I believe it's about 12 chapters. And uh, we've been on a journey as a church, which is always something that I love about our church. And uh, who knows that we had Christmas? Doesn't Christmas feel like a long time ago now? Feels like a really long time. And uh, we had Pastor Peter and Kaz here, which was great. They're now on the Sunshine Coast, uh, pastoring. And uh, Pastor Stuart and Jane were out on the outback ministering to farmers. And uh, a few weeks ago, at all three of our services, they sort of told us about how the, the testimonies of farmers that they'd helped and what God was doing across the land. And it's so good to have them back. Mum, that is a cool dress. Very, very trendy. And uh, orange is the color for today. And, uh, but, uh, you know, they told us about what had happened. And uh, Pastor Stuart, a few weeks ago, shared, I suppose, about prophetically what he believed that God was saying to us as a people for 2019. And so I really want to encourage you, um, if you've got internet, jump online, get the podcast. Uh, you can go on our website on Apple um, or Spotify and listen to that. I believe it's got the word peace. Yes, but peace in the title, it's along those lines. So make sure you listen to that message so that you can really connect with where we're heading as a church. And uh, now we're stepping into a season of looking at a gentleman in the Bible named Nehemiah. And uh, I believe that we're doing this more than just because we picked some random character in the Bible who, who was quite inspiring. I believe that God is trying to speak to us through this man's journey. He's trying to prophetically speak to us as a church and so that we can glean from Nehemiah's life. Is there anyone in 2019 that maybe in terms of your trade, where you work, maybe a hobby that you have that really inspires you? Is there anyone who, who loves art? Is there any artist, Pastor Jane, that inspire you? Heidi, I know at one point you studied opera. Who would have to be your most inspiring opera singer that you go, wow, I just love what they do? Or one of them. It's overwhelming. <laughs> Who here, anyone like sport? Is there any sporting people that inspire you? That the way they kick the AFL ball or the way they shoot the basketball, there's, there's something about, who here knows in a work, in a career setting, that there's certain people that you just go, ah, oh. I know as a pastor, there's certain pastors that I meet and I just go, the way you live, the way you conduct yourself, the way you approach life, it inspires me and encourages me and motivates me. And I believe, you know, we can find some of those people throughout 2019 in modern day life, but I also found that all the way throughout the Bible, there's people that can be incredibly great encouragement and inspiration of how to do life well. And, and though this gentleman lived, um, you know, over 2,000 years ago, uh, who knows that, that, that though he's old, that there's still many great things that we can gather from his life. Who knows that we may be living a long while later, but there's still things, needs of humans. Who knows that sometimes people, even though we get older, the world, we're still the same, right? There's still elements of who we are that's still the same. And so we're going to look at Nehemiah's life, and I know there's so many great things. And uh, as a church, we're going through bringing out quite a few characteristics of Nehemiah that we can apply to our lives. And Pastor Stuart last week talked about how Nehemiah made a decision to seek first the kingdom of God. He made an intentional decision to say, God, above everything that else in my life, I want to put you first. And who knows that as believers, that is a powerful thing that we can do in our lives today to make that decision to put God first. I believe 
believe that the best place that we can place our lives is place them in trusting God and putting Him first. I know when I've put God first, it always turns out good for me in the long run. When I put me first, when I put other things first, sometimes it goes a bit weird. Anyone understand what I'm talking about? And here we've got Nehemiah, and he's here. And uh, we're going to read from chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, I read Nehemiah in about a week, in a couple of, uh, I think about three to four sittings. So I encourage you throughout the month, make it a decision to read the book of Nehemiah for yourself. And uh, I trust you'll get a lot out of it. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakeliai. It came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shujan, in the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are, great, uh, are there in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem are also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive, your eyes be open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants." and confess the sins of the children of Israel which have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word of that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I pray... Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. Let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was a cup bearer of the king. So to sort of begin to paint this picture a little bit more for you, here we have this gentleman named Nehemiah who has a hometown called Jerusalem. Is there anyone here who grew up in a different country? Okay. Is there anyone who was born here in Cairns? You're local. This is your hometown. Fantastic, since birth. And, uh, you know, Nehemiah was, uh, his hometown, his, his culture's hometown was a place called Jerusalem. And he was living in a city called Shujan, which if you do a study, is, is about a 20-hour drive from Jerusalem. Uh, that's in modern, if you look at a Google Maps right now, Shujan is sort of in Iraq. So it's about 20 hours drive now, potentially would have been a little bit further uh, for them in those times traveling as there's a large amount of that Middle Eastern region is desert. So they maybe had to go around the desert. They also didn't have cars. Uh, so maybe a donkey or a horse or some form of other animal that, that you know, to travel to and from there. And uh, Nehemiah, he, he's the cupbearer to the king in this city called Shujan. If you look into Shuzan, uh, it's the winter city of the Persian king. Uh, now, winter, not, don't picture like freezing really, really cold. It's as in they go there in winter because it's beautiful weather, similar to Cairns. 
All right. So who knows? Our best season is winter. People from Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide, all these different places come to Cairns because it's sort of 25. The sun's shining. It's amazing. This city is exactly the same. It's 25 and it's right near a beautiful big lake or big water mass. So it's, you know, a nice place to be. Now at that particular time, Persia was sort of one of if not the strongest leading um, military presence at that particular time. And here was this young man named Nehemiah who was the cupbearer to the king. Now, as many of you understand, being a cupbearer for the king was a very trusted position in that particular time of history because you had the uh, you were positioned, you had the potential to be able to poison or kill the king if you decided to. And so I can imagine the king wouldn't let anyone take on this role, but it was only specific people. Now, if I was the king at this particular time with a cupbearer, there was two ways that I would treat my cupbearer, all right? First way is I would lock them up all week. I'd lock them in sort of like a jail cell and I'd only let them out to, you know, come and taste taste the drink and then I locked them back up so no one could get near them. That would be the first way that I would treat my cupbearer. Everyone's like, you're so harsh, Josh. The second way is that I would look after my cupbearer so well that when another kingdom or another king or someone tried to convince me uh, to, to kill the king or said, you know, if you kill the king, we'll look after you, we'll, you know, bribe you in that way, that you look after the cupbearer so well that he'd say, no way, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I'm not going to do that to the king because the king looks after me so, so good. And when you look into Nehemiah's story, I think really for Nehemiah, it was the latter. He was living in this amazing city, you know, the the sort of the center of the world. He was the king to the cupbearer. He was extremely well looked after. He was in the center of, you know, life was going on. Maybe, I don't know, the New York or the, you know, the Dubai of today. he, He was living it up. I can imagine he was on a fantastic income or just somehow well looked after, amazing place. And here is this young man. And he hears about his hometown. And he hears, you know, he's in this beautiful city, but he hears about his hometown and he reads into it that the walls are in ruin. But it doesn't only allude to the fact that they're just decaying because no one's maintaining them. If you read into it, it also says that the gates are burnt with fire. Now, when I think about gates being burnt with fire, that, that talks to me about vandalism, right? That talks to me about someone's come intentionally and lit the gates on fire. So it talks to me about that it's not only that the walls are eroding and the place is just falling apart. It means that these people are being heavily attacked. The people are trying to take them down. And he hears about this place. And to, to ca- kind of catch the story, the, the, the Israelites have been in exile. They've disobeyed against God. But, but God has, in his faithfulness and in his kindness, brought them back to this land. And so Nehemiah hears about this. And the Bible says that he's so moved that he falls down and he begins to weep and pray and fast. Don't you love that? You know, he's not just like, oh yeah, whatever, they'll be fine. Someone else will look after that. That He has this softness of heart that he's so moved by this thing that he begins to pray and fast to the point where he actually begins to believe that maybe God wants to use him. That maybe God wants to use him in a powerful way. And I love reading Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1 because you see Nehemiah dealing with the inadequacy that he feels in himself. I've sinned. My family's sinned. You know, we haven't been the perfect family. But somehow in the middle of all of that, he felt that God was wanting to use him. And church today in 2019, in February, come on, I want to encourage you today that God wants to use you to do something great for his kingdom. That God wants to use you to do something mighty today. And you might feel inadequate 
You may not feel like you've been perfect for your whole life, but can I encourage you? Come on, God in His grace and His mercy, if you allow His forgiveness to flow through your life, if you humble yourself to Him, God wants to do something significant through you to see His kingdom advance. And I want to encourage you today, just like if you had a computer and you brought up that screen, you know, and it came up and, you know, in the corners on my Mac, it's on this side, on a PC, it's on that side, you know, the X side or the minimize side, all those thoughts that tells you that you're inadequate, that you're not good enough, that you can't do this, that God could use everyone but you. I want you to get that thing and I want you to close that window in your brain. I want you to close down that thought in your mind because the Bible encourages us that if we repent, if we humble ourselves, He'll forgive us, come on, and give us a brand new start. I love that scripture in the Bible that says that God's mercies are new every single morning. Just take a big breath. Are you breathing some fresh mercy today? (laughs) I love in worship how we realize that there's always more right with God than there is wrong with us. (laughs) Aren't you thankful that Jesus came because you were so unperfect? But in His goodness and His grace, He came to do something great in His life. And Nehemiah is stirred to go back to his hometown. So in chapter 2, it talks about how Nehemiah decides to come before the king. And you can read it at home for yourself, but you feel the nervousness of Nehemiah. You feel the reluctancy of Nehemiah to actually come before the king. And so he comes before the king, and one of the things that the king observes is that he doesn't look very happy. And he's really nervous about himself not looking really happy. And you might be thinking, why, why is that a big deal? Now, you've got to understand that this is Persia, you know, the center of the world. So, so there would have been other kings, other kingdoms, other people coming to visit the king. And you can imagine the king had a bit of an ego, so he wanted things to look good when people came to his, his courts. And so I can imagine for Nehemiah, it wasn't sort of like, here, king, here's your drink. It's not poison. Go for it. I can imagine Nehemiah, you know, when he came into the king's courts, he would need to look good, right? He would have had his royal apparel on coming in, you know, I don't know how he would have done it, but (laughs) something real trendy. King, you know, I hope they had a stand for his arm because if the king wasn't thirsty at the time, (laughs) Nehemiah would have had to have some big triceps and biceps just holding the... (laughs) holding the drink up like that. But you can imagine, you know, if you ever watch, you know, political speeches, have you ever noticed how there's like the politician speaking and then there's all the people that are standing behind? You know this and they're all like... They're meant to look enthusiastic. Can you imagine if one of those people standing behind was crying? You know, we're going to do this in the country, it's going to be great. (laughs) <laughs> just, just <laughs> now, in modern, probably in Australia, if someone was crying, then they probably would be sort of, can you go cry over there? <laughs> but at this particular time, who knows that the kings had some other ways of dealing with people who were irritating them. <laughs> so for Nehemiah coming into the court, and he's been fasting, he's been crying, and he's nervous, he's apprehensive because he looks really upset. So, you know, normally maybe Nehemiah was... (laughs) But today, Nehemiah... (laughs) 
Maybe that's a bit dramatic. But anyway, the king, in the middle of all his royal duty, noticed Nehemiah's emotion. And he asked him, he, he said, you're not sick. I know you're not sick. Why are you so upset? And, and Nehemiah's heart comes out in chapter 2, and you can read it for yourself. But he says, you know, how can I be happy in Joshua's paraphrase version? How can I be pumped about life when my hometown lays in ruins? And right then and there, he decides to ask the king if he can go back and, and rebuild the walls. Now, you've got to uh, realize that he's not asking the king for a couple of days off work. King, could I have a long weekend, a Friday off, Saturday, Sunday? I'll come back Monday. Nehemiah takes two months off work to go and rebuild these walls. But not only does he take two months off work, he asks his boss to pay for him to go back. <laughs> he says, when I go back, can you pay for my accommodation? Can you pay for all the resources to build the wall? In fact, can, you send, can I have an entourage to go with me, king? And he literally does. You should read it. And he asks the king for all these specific things to go back to this particular land, which when you read the story is so wise later on because you realize that at the time when he went back, there was corruption going on in Jerusalem and he becomes the governor and he doesn't have to ask the people for a place to live or anything. He's totally free just to bless them in a really amazing way. So it's really clever how he does it and uh, quite inspiring. So he goes back, travels all the way there, two months, goes to an entourage, with an entourage. And uh, in verse chapter 2 of 11, you can read this when Nehemiah finally approaches um, his hometown and says this, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one that I rode, which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no rooms for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned." And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or others who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the distress which we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. So they said, I love this, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. And they go on and they begin to build the walls and go on this amazing journey. And it's such a cool story. In fact, you can, the, some of the walls are still there today. And one of the things that's amazing about the walls is how quickly they actually built the wall and how well they actually built it. And it was a sign to the other surrounding towns and peoples that surely God was with them by how well these walls were actually built. Amazing sort of story. At one point, they're so attacked, and we'll bring this out in a few weeks, that um, you know, at one time, what they had to do was they had to have a trowel in one hand to build the wall and a sword in the other hand to fight off people. I love the fact that you know, it wasn't just them doing it, but their whole families. It was a whole community initiative to build this particular wall. You know, I love this story even more because there's a gentleman named Ezra who I think it's 30 years before goes back to rebuild the temple, and Ezra's got this massive heart after God, but by the, the story and by the way it's positioned, I think Ezra was quite old by this time. And I can imagine he'd seen the walls and he'd seen the gates and he was going, I can't believe 
that we're only here. And here comes this young man named Nehemiah who comes along out of the blue, unexpected and says, hey, I'm here called by God. The hand of God's on me to build this wall to make a difference. Last week, Pastor Stuart talked about how we need to make a decision like Nehemiah to put God first. You know, it's amazing. If you go to Shujan now, if you go there now, where the city was, it's just old, broken down. Once was the center of society. Once was the main deal. And now it's just old, crumbly statues and buildings. You know, if Nehemiah hadn't taken those two months off, we may never know his story. But it was because Nehemiah made a drastic decision to put God first and to seek first the kingdom that we remember him today. And I want to encourage you today, church, come on, what we do for God, what we do for his kingdom matters. What we're doing here on Sunday, come on, as we serve, as we're involved, as we're building God's house together, come on, it matters. You know, I love Odwell, one of the gentlemen in our church. He takes every Thursday off work to go and teach religious instruction in a state school. Don't you love that? scientist takes the day off work just because he's passionate about building God's kingdom. You know, you don't want to know what's even cooler. I believe that God can use you at your work to continue to build God's kingdom. I believe, come on, that, that, you know, it's so interesting when you look at it, how God's called some people to be pastors and things like that, but he's called most of us not to be pastors. You know why? Because God needs the most missionaries out there on the field. I always love for our church that it doesn't just exist on 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 6 o'clock and Wednesdays. Come on, the church is alive 24-7 all the time because we are the church advancing God's kingdom. Come on, in the business sector, in the health arena, in the education area, in families, your kingdom come and your will be done everywhere. And I want to encourage you today, even men and, and, and every single person here, come on, let's take God with us to work. Let's take him everywhere that we go. It's not like I come to church and God just fits in my church box. God wants to invade every box you have. Come on, your marriage. He wants to come into your family. Come on, he wants to come into your study. He wants to be a part of every area of your life. And I've discovered, who knows this church, that when you let God into every area, he brings life. He brings freedom. He brings hope. He brings direction and he brings encouragement to our lives. And so we need to be people who seek first the kingdom of God. To put him first. You know, as a young guy growing up, one of the biggest temptations that I had was to work Sundays. Extra pay. Young guy. Working at a coffee shop. You know, first job. And I remember I was going for this job. And I remember I sat down with my boss and said, you know what, I'm willing to work Sundays, but I have to, have to be at least minimum one service a Sunday. Otherwise, I won't take the job. I won't take the job. I have to go to church for at least one service. And you know, there can be those temptations at times to, to pull us in other directions. But I want to encourage you, I'm so glad as a young person that I wouldn't be standing in here today if I hadn't made that firm decision to put God first in my work career. Because I decided that more than I wanted money, I wanted to honor the Word of God, which encouraged me to get together with the saints and to encourage each other. So don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. And so I made a decision to put God's Word, His commandments above money. Who knows that when you put God first, amazing things happen in your life in a powerful way. And so we need to be people who seek first the kingdom of God. And the second thing I love about Nehemiah, which is the point I want to bring out today with us in the last few minutes that we have today, 
is that Nehemiah was a passionate person. There's a lot of other things. We'll go deep. But Nehemiah had a ferocious, alive, captivating passion. That here's this young man in the center of society, takes two months off work to go and rebuild these walls. But I love Nehemiah because not only did he rebuild the walls, but he transformed, if you read the whole story, he transformed the financial sector, the political sector, families. He changed. He had a, it was a full town revival that took place as Nehemiah went into this place. And, and there was a lot of things that tried to discourage him, just tried to distract him, that tried to pull him down. But I love Nehemiah's passion through it all. It's like, I will not relent until I see what God has put in my heart come to pass. And I want to encourage you today, if we're going to stand as everything God's called us to be, one thing we need is passion. We need passion. And today, if nothing else, as a young 27-year-old, maybe you're here today and you're a bit of an Ezra. You know, you serve God faithfully and the dreams for what God wants to do are in your heart. And maybe today is a young person that I can inspire you today, that there's a generation who is passionate about God's kingdom. There is a young generation who's passionate about God's work today that's hungry to see everything that God has come to pass in our lives. You know, I love this today. We had uh, Isaac and Emily Helms preparing the communion that you had today. We had Carl, who's a young uh, aviation engineer, doing the sound for us today to be able to have worship. We had Alex Swift, who's moving to Townsville next week to become a pharmacist, doing the lyrics for you today. We had Julie Cipriano, moved all the way from Switzerland, called by God to come and lead you in worship today. We had Mick Helms and Belinda Helms. They're young. They're young and trendy. Woo! who have moved all the way from Outback Australia, but come on, got up for years to come and serve you here at the 8 o'clock service. And I want to encourage us today, we need to be a passionate people. Come on, can the 27, we need to let that passion for God well up on the inside of us for His work, to let that fire burn on the inside of you. Come on, that it just would stir for what God wants to do in this nation. Come on, in this society. Well, sometimes we can know what the enemy wants to do, but come on, God wants to do something greater. He wants to do something stronger. Come on, He wants to do, the Bible says, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think today. And I I want to tell you, come on, let's lift the limitations of our thinking. Come on, let's lift the limitations of our dreaming today. Come on, God can do amazing things. I love this two months, God turned a whole nation around. Come on, in two months, what could God do in your life? Come on, what could God do in your family? What could God do in your workplace? Maybe it'll take longer, shorter, but God, we yield to you today to say, let that passion, let that passion burn within us, Father. Let it burn within us today. So strong, so bright, and so clear. So clear. So clear. Your word says in Isaiah that even when we grow weary, you renew our strength. Jesus, you say in the New Testament that you don't want us to carry heaviness, but you want us to be people who walk with a lightness and a peace today. So Father, we throw off every weight. We throw off all heaviness today. We break all confusion today in this atmosphere in Jesus' name. 
Come on, we speak against all sickness today in Jesus' name that would stop us achieving everything that you've called us to do. Come on, every attack against our family, against our friendships, against our marriages, Father, against our study, against the dreams you've placed in our heart. We break your power today in Jesus' name. Your word says no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We believe it today. We stand on your word today. We grab a hold of your truth today. No weapon formed against us shall prosper in the name of Jesus Christ. God, if you're for us, who can be against us today? And so today, we just grab hold of your truth. We grab a hold of your truth today. God, we lift our eyes. We lift our thinking. We lift our dreaming. I just feel today, church, that God's wanting to, some of, some of us have let our mindsets get a bit small, and God's wanting to breathe life into our mindsets. He's wanting to breathe a greater capacity, a greater vision, a greater dream. And he wants to enlarge us on the inside to let that faith for what He wants to do grow and increase. That's it. Come on, just let Him minister to you today. Come on, just let Him enlarge you today. Come on, I'm dreaming bigger. I'm thinking larger. Wow. God, if you're for me, who can be against me? Greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world. When I'm weak, you, God, are strong. Thank you, Father. So we trust you today. Let that passion burn inside of us, a fire for you. We love you. We honor you here today. In Jesus' name, amen.